Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. In one way or another, every conversation we bring you about vaping is really a conversation about nicotine, whether it be regulations, the latest media scare, or promising new piece of science. Nicotine looms large over the issues. Without nicotine, there'd be no smoking and of course, no need for safer nicotine products. Joining us today to talk about nicotine and the fight to normalize safer nicotine products is Patty Costell with KAC Communications, which produces the annual global forum on nicotine. Patty, thanks for joining us again on RugWatch. Pleasure, Greg. Uh, pleasure, Brent, as ever. So, Patty, the GFN 2021 is fast approaching, coming up this June 17th and 18th. And for our viewers who are unfamiliar with the Global Forum on Nicotine, what is it and why did it start? Global Forum on Nicotine is an annual conference that we have been running um, for, well, this will be our eighth year. It's our eighth anniversary conference this year. Ordinarily, it would take place in Warsaw in Poland, but unfortunately, we were unable to hold the conference last year anywhere due to the pandemic. And this year, restrictions and regulations in Poland made it impossible for us to hold it there. So um, we looked for other alternatives and the UK seemed to be the best alternative because of um, the, the less restrictive environment that we're living in and also the more of an optimism about people actually being able to come here. We've developed it as a hybrid event. So it's going to be a live audience. It's going to be run a little like a television show more than a conference. And it's going to be streamed free online, live, and then it will be archived and repeated and people will be able to to view it at a later stage if they're unable to join us. I'm well aware that whilst we're at midday when we start in um, Liverpool, there are certain people around the world who will be well and truly tucked up for the night of sleep. So you can't please everybody all the time. So we decided to please ourselves. So tell us why does nicotine need an annual conference? I think that there is a growing awareness of the role that nicotine can play in improving individual and public health generally. I think that the statistics for the numbers of people who smoke, the level of mortality that's associated with smoking and smoking-related diseases is something that everybody knows about. And I also think that as the science advances, we have an obligation to make sure that people are aware that there is an alternative and there are, well, there's more alternatives. The, the, the previous alternative was quit or die. And now there are several alternatives other than that, which one of which is like quit and try. Um, try nicotine, try safer nicotine products. And my colleagues and I in, in, in our organization are committed to advancing the, the science and the evidence-based policy that is necessary for these for, for, for this to to have a, a a positive impact, as I say, on individuals and communities' health. Now, what is tobacco harm reduction? Because, of course, that's a term we cover a lot. How does that uh, get defined on your end of the pond? There, harm reduction first became um, first first became known to people through illicit drugs and attempts to assist people who were 
using them unsafely, sharing needles. Obviously, we had the 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 the, the driver for all of the, that that type of harm reduction was the the AIDS epidemic. It, it's not about harm elimination. It's about risk management. It's about it's about um, modified and regulated risk. And I think that that concept can be easily applied to what is essentially one of the biggest killers, if not the biggest killer in, in the world. Um, if people don't burn tobacco, it's infinitely safer and therefore the harm is reduced. However, they choose to use tobacco or tobacco related products. Now, the proof of concept for all of this is go. It goes back a very, very long way. And if you look at the, the if you look at snus and other oral types of tobacco, and it's something that we based we based our our framework, our, our frame of reference around that. And now we're looking at the emerging science about vaping, about heat and heat not burn technology, and other technologies that are coming along which enable people to consume nicotine in a safer way, and therefore that's reduced harm. Public health seems to be opposed to that when it comes to uh, vaping and snooze and so forth. Why are they opposed to tobacco harm reduction, yet public health really did drive harm reduction when it came to illicit drugs? I think the the biggest problem is that tobacco harm reduction, the narrative around tobacco harm reduction that is being put forward by some, I would say, irresponsible leaders in public health, is that tobacco harm reduction is an industry ploy to keep people smoking. It, they, it, it's, it, it, it's a diversion from the true path of righteousness, which would be to smash the tobacco industry and make sure that people therefore would not smoke. Um, a, I think that's a completely impossible dream that they have. And B, it's not really helping people at the bottom end of the market who are smoking. And I think that we need to put across a positive approach and a, pos and a positive vision and actually regain the narrative and actually take control of the narrative. My view, I don't hold any loyalty to the tobacco industry, but if they are being forced into a situation where they're producing something that is going to kill less people, what's not to like? You've got, you, you've got to live with that. It's not the ideal situation. But again, I'd come back to let's look at the relative risk and let's assess what is the best thing for people to do. And I think it is kind of naive if people think that they're just going to go away. You know, how dare they get into this new technology? They should just, you know, just realize their days are over and go away. They're not going to, they're massive corporations. And we, in our work, we work with every stakeholder in the process. We work very, very hard to engage with consumers because they are the people who matter. They're the people whose lives are being altered by them changing their behaviors and changing their habits. 
we work with academics who will work with us in order to look at what needs to be looked you look at what needs to be evaluated how are we going to evaluate it so patty let's talk about the forum the global forum for nicotine a little bit about 2021 coming up and overall what you've been trying to accomplish first of all though um, a couple of interesting things so let's just reiterate here um, you can participate online this year so you go to the website you can sign up was that free or do you have to pay it's free totally free and then there'll be panelists uh, and as well there's an opportunity to get involved with what's called the GFN fives what's that so what we thought was we try and create something where people could they can either sound off about an issue, they can talk about a piece of research, they can talk about a campaign that they're, they're launching. They can do anything, really, within the GFN files, so long as it's legal, honest, and decent, we, we, and, and it's only five minutes. And what we'll do is we'll put those up online before the conference and people can look at them at their leisure. And it's going to be done in a... It, basically, I've described this conference as CNN meets Netflix. And this is the Netflix element where you'll be able to scroll across the screen and then click on a tile and watch what you wish to watch. We'll also have a session in the conference where the fives are actually discussed by a panel. They'll pick out some of their highlights and, and some of the themes that, that are shown in them. But what we want people to do is we just want them to compile stuff. It's not going to be, ed it's not going to be edited. It's, so long as it meets the standard that it's not, ad, you know, naked advertising or anything like that, we'll put it up there. And so long as they're five minutes long or less and they're in a, a, a reasonable format and they're with my team in Warsaw by the 16th of May. That's, that's all people need to do. They can find all the information on the website. There's assistance in how they can produce these things. But not only are we doing that this year, what we're also doing is all of the panelists that we've got on the various panels, we're asking them to produce a 10-minute presentation. So we're not having 10 minutes of presentation during the session, but they'll be up there again prior to the conference for people to watch. And then the entire session will be taken up with Q&A, which people in the audience in Liverpool and online will be able to join in. So what we don't want to, sorry, we don't want to mess, mess around with having people making 10 minute presentations and then five minutes for discussion at the end. It's what I said before, we want to make this interactive. All of the hosts for all of the sessions will be present in Liverpool. So who are the key speakers and panelists you're most excited about? I'm excited about all of them because they're all, they're all people who are known to me and some of them are very good friends of mine. Um, I think that we've got a very, very good mix, both in terms of geography and issues. I mean, the whole thing will be opened by, I, I'll, I'll be opening it, so there's a thrill for everybody in the first place. I will be opening it with um, Fiona Patton from Australia, who is going to talk about should politics trump evidence or should evidence trump politics? because I think that's one of the key issues that we're going to address during the conference. We've got other we've got other kind of highlights as well. I mean, we've got Derek Yak from the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World, who is going to talk about why has the fact that the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control failed to reduce 
the harm caused by adult smoking. And I think that's a very interesting presentation. Anybody that's interested in, in, in that presentation should also go to the GFN archive and look for the Michael Russell oration in 2015 when Derek delivered something very similar. And it's about whether any of that has changed since. So we're looking at a five, six year span and what's happened in that. I wanted to ask you, uh, GFN 2021 is paying tribute to Michael Russell. And we just spoke about uh, Russell with uh, our last actual interview with Dr. Lynn Kozlowski. And uh, why is it that his research and his, you know, activism in the tobacco movement um, is so important uh, to the GFN group? I think Michael Russell embodies everything that we stand for. The first thing is keep it simple. He made a very simple statement, which is still holds true today. People smoke for the nicotine and die from the tar and all the chemicals. Obviously, he had to keep, you know, if you're going to have a sound bite, you can't roll off the tongue 4,000 different chemicals that can kill you. But he was very correct with that. The other thing is he was a risk taker. He talked to people he shouldn't have talked to. He did talk to people in the industry. He also started to meddle with different types of products and different different ways of treating people for the addiction to tobacco, to nicotine. And what he realized was that in the same way as when you're dealing with any other sort of addiction, there's different ways of approaching it. Unfortunately, at the time he was a practicing medic, a practicing medic I suspect the vast majority of people by the time they got any treatment as such for an illness related to tobacco was when they were dying. And he saw a need to intervene and you know, he was he was he was an innovator and he was prepared to try different things. Let's jump into uh, some of the issues, Patty, that you guys uh, might be actually dealing with at GFN 2021 and that I know that we, we want to talk to you about. And one way I want to do that is by revisiting on the screen here the taglines for GFN over the last eight years as they say a lot about the struggle. Now, there was no tagline in 2014, so we'll start at 2015, a different kind of endgame. 2016, evidence, accountability, transparency. 2017, reducing harm, saving lives. 2018, rethinking nicotine. 2019, it's time to talk about nicotine. 2020, nicotine science, ethics, and human rights. 2021, the future of nicotine. Now, one might think that by now the future for safer nicotine products would be bright, but reading this list and knowing the nature of the opposition, it makes me think things are worse off. What do you think? It's interesting when when you said earlier that you, you when you let me know that you'd like to look at these things, I actually went back through the websites and started reading some of the papers and the documents. And um, it's... Um, it looks quite logical, not that, it ever, not that it ever was. It was all put together on the hoof. But it, I think that when we started with the, a different kind of end game, what we were looking at then was we were still talking the language of tobacco control. So the tobacco control, we're always talking about the end game for smoking. And what we thought was, well, there is a different end game where people might not necessarily completely stop using nicotine because God forbid, but some people might actually enjoy using nicotine. 
I don't myself, but I know a lot of people who do. And good luck to them. They're not harming me and they're not harming anybody else. And they're not harming themselves, in my view. So we started to look at that. And we thought that that was a, a, good, a good topic to look at. And then the evidence, accountability and transparency. This is where it started getting spiky. And because we had all of these uppity vapors who were claiming to know things better than scientists did, because they probably did know more than scientists did, because they were actually in the middle of it, using it and knowing what it did. We, we wanted to make sure that evidence, accountability and transparency all went together. Because you can produce evidence unaccountably to, unaccountable to anybody, and you can do it without any transparency. And then you can just make a statement that, you know, these things, it's, it's, it's like when you see the statements in the, the red top press, you know, e-cigs are as dangerous as cigarettes. Evidence shows. Now, there's no transparency in that, and there's no accountability in that. It's a journalist who's been fed a media release and has topped and tailed it. And what we were saying is, no, this has to be, there needs to be a process and people need to be subject to a process when they're making claims. So that was where we went with that. And then reducing harm and saving lives. Interestingly, that was the year we had Ethan Nadelman deliver the Michael Russell oration. And what Ethan did was he equated what had happened with drugs harm reduction and what was happening with tobacco harm reduction. And there was a very, very big disconnect, even though most people would sign up to the aim of making things easier and safer for people. Um, they wouldn't commit to tobacco harm reduction because it wasn't the same as drugs harm reduction. But we were set, what we were putting across was the whole idea that if you reduce harm, you save lives. And it doesn't matter what the activity is. I mean, your, your, your fellow countryman, Dave Sweener, always gives the examples of refrigeration in the 1940s and 1950s and seatbelts in cars and things like that as examples of harm reduction without being called harm reduction. So I think that Ethan did a brilliant job in actually bringing the two together. And then in the rethinking nicotine, re refocus, the debate really and again this comes into there were several articles at that point in time one written by one of one of my friends from nna in england and along with an well, along with an academic and it was about the pleasure principle and how nicotine actually is a substance in some ways for some people it provides it provides things that people need and different things for different people. So we needed to start rethinking nicotine and rethinking the approach to it. Time to talk about nicotine was about reframing, eventually getting away from the language of tobacco control that we started with and actually starting having a language all of our own that actually addressed the real issues. It's a bit like getting away from drug addicts and junkies and starting to talk about people who use drugs. It was that it was that kind of shift. And I think that's really important because what you don't want to do, if you want to help people, the last thing you need to do is to marginalize them. And what we set out to do with that was actually get to people 
to talk about what is what what is it that's bad about it what is it that's good about it what do we need to know about it what should we tell what should god forbid what should we tell the children you know it's it's all of that stuff because that's been used against us you know i mean, I, I i mean the number of times you know but what about the children oh for god's sake i mean we're we're in the business of actually tackling one of the worst preventable and and causes of NCDs in in the world. And yes, there are going to be some issues, and we do need to be mindful of the youth issue and stuff like that. But if if it becomes the overriding issue, then we get lost. And I know I'll get slaughtered for saying these sort of things, but I've said them before, and I've said them on your show before, Brent. So. Um, I, I genuinely believe it. So we wanted to get to time to yeah time to talk about nicotine, and that logically took us on last last year to look at science, ethics, and human rights. And again, as with the um, the accountability and transparency, ethics and human rights actually come in to science as well, because I think people have to do things that are ethical, and. Quite frankly, I think there's some people out there who've done some of the most unethical things imaginable. And the collateral damage in all of that is smokers. Who and it's not it and, and we're not talking about by and large, we're not talking about the developed world here, we're talking about people in under underdeveloped countries, in emerging countries, LMICs. You know, they don't get a fair crack of the whip. And yet, if you look at where the, the highest number of smokers are. It's in those in those countries. Um, and then this year, uh, it's again, it's it's just an extension of where are we going? Where are we going from here? It's what you asked before. What has changed? I don't know. It seems to me we're having the same arguments in a different way each year. But I think the encouraging thing is year by year. There's more and more people turning up to have those discussions, and unfortunately, not a lot of the opposition are turning up to to debate. But there's a lot of people who are learning and who are prepared to actually engage. And while that's the case, we'll continue. And that's what I wanted to ask. You know, in light of this evolving kind of discussion that GFN has been hosting globally about nicotine and about THR products. Who is the get attendee in terms, you know, obviously we've got the regular people that are involved in this conversation and the scientists that are involved. Who's the get? I think that some of the people we would really like to get are some of the most rabid anti-tobacco harm reduction people and have a debate, a proper debate, and have them sit and be uncomfortable and have to confront some of the prejudices that they have. And some of the, I mean, quite frankly, some of the outlandish claims and statements that we've had to deal with. I mean, I think one of the one of the key things that we we, we were trying to introduce and in, into the conferences, and we will go back to it when we can get an audience to do it, because you need an audience to do it, was actually getting people. I mean, the the first one we did, we had. Alex Wodak, who's a renowned harm reductionist of, well, 50 years, 30, 40, 50 years standing as a doctor working with drug users who has a profound interest now in tobacco harm reduction. 
on the, he, we had him on one side of the the argument, and we had David O'Reilly, who's the scientific director for the British American Tobacco, and they shared the stage, and we had a moderator who was throwing questions to either of them, and the the, the audience was in, and we had a few people in between as well, like we had Marwa Glover, and uh, to be honest, I can't remember who the other person was, but it was a policy maker. So you had a different views and different aspects of it. And the best part of that was nobody walked off the stage and nobody walked out of the audience. And I think what we'd like to see is more of that. And it's not promoting the industry and, and you know, saying that they have to be involved, etc. It's just listening to another point of view. And I think they're the big, the big ticket items that we'd like to attract. More scientists, more policy makers. Um, and it is a process of education. It was an, an, interesting, an interesting thing I saw the other day. It's a short report that's been produced in Spain. And what it demonstrated was that people who were better informed about nicotine were more likely to be sympathetic to regulate it in a reasonable and rational manner. And that was amongst politicians in Spain. It was a survey they did amongst politicians. And it, it, to me, that's, that's the key. Education is the key. I don't think we get it right all of the time. I don't think a lot of the people who present at the event present things that, are, you know, are, are, that, that aren't able to be challenged. But the process needs to take place and people need to become familiar with the arguments, they need to educate themselves. We don't educate people, they educate themselves. All we can provide is the venue. And what we do is we provide it in a way that nobody, but nobody is excluded from GFN. And that, I think, there are a few events around, but the vast majority of scientific events, the disclosure and you know, the, the self-flagellation that you have to go through to actually attend them, it means that the vast majority of people can't get in. Patty, going back to uh, the tagline conversation, you said something in response to that that I found fascinating, which was that early on when you first started, uh, the forum and the people involved with it were using the language of tobacco control, but you had to abandon that at some, at some point. And this is a two-part question. Uh, first of all, is tobacco control out of control? And is that one of the reasons why you had to just abandon their, abandon their framework? There is an element of tobacco control that is out of control. There is, and there are, there are some people on our side of the argument who are on occasions out of control. I have even been accused of that myself on occasions, but it's, it's very much a small group of people. I think one of the fallacies is that tobacco control and tobacco harm reduction are, are irreconcilably different. They're not, they're complementary. Tobacco control has gone a, some way in some of, the, some of the issues. I mean, the taxation issue when it first started may have had some impact. Plain packaging, quite frankly, all of the evidence that I've seen points to it being a complete non-starter. But a lot of the stuff tobacco control did about educating people about the dangers of, um, of smoking, etc., was probably not a bad thing, but it has its limits. You know, if you look at 
if you look at the situation, I mean, Australia is a classic example. And in Australia now, it's something in the region of, I think, about almost $30 a packet of 20 cigarettes. And the, the levels of smoking have stalled. They're not going down. So the price is not an issue. But what has also gone up is Chop Chop, the locally produced product of questionable quality. And when you've got a country the size of Australia, there's plenty of places to hide a tobacco farm. And it's, a, a, you know, it becomes a, a, a reputable, a, not a, it, becomes, it becomes a viable business. And obviously, some of the measures they've taken have just gone out. They are out of control. Historically, Patty, tobacco control campaigners have had a triple goal. One, to end the death and disease caused by tobacco, to end nicotine addiction, and to destroy the tobacco industry. Those are the three. That's the framework of tobacco control. And so, I mean, even just from day one, have they had an unattainable goal, but they're holding on to it with like an iron fist. I think that bringing an end to smoking is their is their stated aim. The others, I think, the others, I think, have grown out of that. But our view is that they need to rethink nicotine. Nicotine addiction is not an issue for me. It's not an issue. It's exactly. I mean, they may as well say what we need to do is we need to close down all the coffee plantations because caffeine is addictive. And it's about as addictive and about as dangerous as nicotine, from what I understand, from my, my understanding of the science that I've seen, and from what I've heard from reputable and scientists and people I trust. I think there's where tobacco harm reduction and tobacco control need to form some working relationship. The idea of smash the industry, I'm sorry, but that's, that's kind of, 10th grade debate in society stuff. I mean, there's absolutely no way that these industries are going to go away. But if we can actually make them less dangerous and get them to talk, not just to talk about what they're going to do, we've seen all of that before. All of that, you know, they've got a hell of a long legacy of telling lies to get over. But while they're moving and genuinely moving in the right direction, I'm not, I, I'm not going to say, no, you should stop and just go away. Because the one fear I have is they've been doing something very simple for over 120 years. They've been taking vegetable matter and wrapping it in paper and selling it to people. It's not a hard thing to do. And they were making a lot of money. Whatever happened, they made a lot of money. And what they're doing now is they're investing in new technologies that are less dangerous. They're still making some money, but if we drive them out of the market completely, they'll just go back to selling fags. It's easy. It's easy business. It's a business model. They understand it's a very simple business model. And what they're now doing is they're trying to do the hard yards and opening up markets for other products. I know people will say it's a trick to keep people smoking, but I mean, I'm never going to convince some people, but some people will listen to the argument. But, I mean, I, I've never understood the logic of a company having the opportunity to develop a product that kills less of its customers. I'm sure there's more profit in keep, keeping people alive than there is killing your customers. And it, it's, 
these sort of arguments need to be had honestly. Possibly could it be that because if the tobacco industry were to swap out their killing products to products that don't kill anymore, that the tobacco control industry and the political apparatus around it sees that as maybe losing the raison d'etre for the taxation, the funding, the amount of well, blood money that they take out of the tobacco companies to fund their uh, tobacco control industry. Indeed, there can be an argument made for that, and many people I know make that argument, that they are, that they, that there's a symbiotic relationship between tobacco control and big tobacco. I don't want to get into that sort of stuff. I mean, I, whether I believe it or not, I think that's getting into the, we're getting down and dirty into the trenches fighting each other. And what we need to be doing is trying to make it more possible to have, shall we say, a more polite and erudite discourse than, than what we've had previously. But then speaking of that, is it not their side that refuses to sit down? Yes, it is, yeah. I will meet with any of them at any time. But there are certain places that I can't even go into. They won't let me in. Um, because I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I suck with the devil. I, I sit in the same room as people. And I make no apologies for it. And I'm certainly not going to stop doing it. And all, I, all we demand of anyone who attends any of our events is that every single person gets treated with respect. Whether you agree with them or disagree with them, and you can hate them, but hate them quietly. Because everybody has a right to be in that room and everybody has a right to discuss the, the topics that are, are there. And everyone has a right to express a point of view, however abhorrent to some people that may be. And I, I think that's where, that, that's what, that's the, that's the USP of the Global Forum. I know I'm selling the Global Forum, but I'm, I'm not selling, I'm giving it away. But it's it's kind of, we want to get, we want to have the conversation. We want to have the big conversation. Well, and the Global Forum of Nicotine has enjoyed a fantastic reputation for as long as RegWatch has been covering this issue. We, you know, you've extended invitations to us, we just haven't been able to get to uh, Poland for it. So, but we're very excited though, to engage with the with the forum this year. But next year, definitely, we'll be back in Warsaw next year. We've already got the booking, um, and we're working on it already. But uh, it's, you know, it, it's it's what we want to see is we want to see a broad church in there. We want to see everybody in there, and everybody's welcome. And you know, it's it's kind of it's up to, it's up to the people themselves whether they come or not. There's nothing I can do about it. I can only make the offer. I mean, people can can join us this year in Liverpool. It's only 60 quid for two days. That's not a bad deal, really. And you get an opportunity to hang out and meet some of the key people, you know, fighting for what I think and what most of our viewers believe is a human right. I, I think the people who miss it most are the consumers because it's the opportunity for them to meet with people who do exactly the same sort of things as they do from all around the world. And if nothing else, you get isolated consumer advocates who are working against tremendous opposition in the countries, and some, some of them in mortal peril. And they come there, and there's other people to talk to. And what they realize, more than anything else, is they're not on their own. There is a support network. And I mean, there's a lot of things that have developed off the back of the Global Forum in terms of networks and support networks. 
I mean, INCO came about as a result of people coming together at the Global Forum. And that's something that, you know, we're proud of, that those kind of things have emerged from it. I have nothing to do with it. INCO and others, they form their own alliances, groups, and everything else. All we do is provide the platform to do it. It's very gratifying to see it happen, but we have no control over anything and no responsibility for anything some of them might do. But it's kind of nice. And, and it, 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 we've expanded into doing things in other countries. I mean, I remember, I, I remember coming to Canada, is it two years ago now when we, we had the meeting in Vancouver, which was fantastic. Yeah, I think it was actually maybe three uh, years maybe. ago, and it was one of our best. Actually, I really enjoyed that, um, having you guys here in BC. It was at the BC Centers for Disease Control. It's yeah. where we first met Dr. Mark Tyndall, yeah. and uh, we got, some, got a great interview with you, great interview with Dr. Tyndall. It's just that was another example of how uh, tobacco controllers, anti-vaping opponents clamped down, you know, got another, you know, event and nearly canceled uh, just because people wanted to talk about tobacco harm reduction. That's exactly right. And it was great. That, I mean, the, the thing that was most gratifying about that was it was the first level entry, I think, for Mark, Mark Tyndall into the whole business. And it's good to see that he's still in there pitching. And I've seen, again, I've seen a couple of interviews that you've done with him. And he's always on the money. He's always right about what, what he says. And he comes with all of that kind of experience that people bring to it from other fields. Absolutely. That's the other thing that's been really good to see is a lot of my colleagues who worked in drugs and alcohol, which I did myself for many, many years, a lot of them have now started to get interested, if not migrate entirely, into the, the nicotine space. Because, you know, shock horror. Most people who use drugs or drink smoke. And, I, you know, it's that. I, I, I'll never forget that interview you did with Mark when he was talking about the focus group with people who were on very expensive ART treatment. And it suddenly dawned on him that they wouldn't live long enough to use the, the, the ART treatment because they'd, they'd all die of some sort of NCD associated with smoking. And what, what people were addressing was the medical issue and ignoring everything else that was going on around them. And I think these are the sort of connections we are now trying to make. One, one of the things that's interesting in, in the program for this year is we're looking at why people use nicotine, who uses it and why. And one of the people who's going to be on the panel is, um, again, someone I think you'd know, Charles Gardner. And Charles is really interested in the impact on mental illness of nicotine. He gave, it a, he gave it a scientific name and I cannot for the life of me remember it, so I'm not even going to attempt to say it. But it is about, you know, people self-medicating. It's about the impact nicotine can have on certain conditions. And there's a little, there's a little group of people now looking into things like what's the impact on debilitating illnesses like um, MS, What's the, you know, things like dementia? Does it slow it down? Can it ease it? Things like that. So I think, you know, what's the future for nicotine? The future for nicotine is we need to start thinking about, in the same way as people are now thinking about cannabis as a potential medicine for epilepsy, etc. Let me ask you about both Canada and the US, because it does seem to be 
that the trials and tribulations when it comes to nicotine, uh, vaping, you know, even just the overall THR, the battle against tobacco harm reduction, seems to emanate a lot from the U.S. and now Canada. When you take a look at what's happening over here on this side of the pond in 2021, what are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting because I read an article yesterday knowing I was going to be on tonight. And I was fascinated to see that the Canadian exchequer is looking to make $2.1 billion extra over the next five years on increasing excise duties on cigarettes. And the argument is this is going to push more people out of smoking. We've got a ready-made solution for people to stop smoking, start using something else. And now they're saying they're going to tax vaping products as well. It's insane because you have this, it, it, it's, it's also a little, trim, a little worrying in the situation in New Zealand, which was another kind of more liberal approach to vaping especially, and they're retrenching. And you had the, you had the big campaign that you were involved in, Dave Sweener and a lot of other people were involved in, and convinced the government we should have good legislation, good regulation, and everyone agreed that that was a good idea. And now the devil, as always, is in the detail. And unfortunately, a lot of the officials who get to draft the regulations, who get to draft the bills that go to Parliament, are people who are innately tobacco controllers. They cannot, for the life of them, yeah, we've got to talk a good game, but what we've really got to do is this. And... The FDA making all kinds of positive noises and then the Biden administration issued that statement where harm reduction for drugs was, re was recognized, written down for the very, very, very first time. And now he's saying, well, we're going to ban menthol and what we'll do is we'll go to severely reduced levels of nicotine in cigarettes. And over five years, that will... Over five years, you'll have that many frigging lawsuits going on from different companies. It's not going to achieve anything. It, it, it's the it, we've got to get away from the ideology, and what we've got to get into is pragmatism. If we're really, really serious about helping people to stop smoking and to do something that they may continue to do because they enjoy it, we've got to get busy on harm reduction. It's no point in just using the old sledgehammer to crack a knot. All right, Patty. Wow. What a great conversation uh, today. Before we close up, you know, where can our viewers go to find out more and how to potentially participate in GFN 2021? Well, if they just go to the website, which is www.gfn.events, then they will find all of the information about the conference. They can register there. They can find out about how they can submit a GFN5, and they can find out a lot more about the program and who's taking part in it. Um, and if they wish, and they're fortunate enough to be able to come to Liverpool, then they can also register there and, and pay, and um, there's information about the hotel and how to get there, etc. And I would encourage people to come along this year. If you like it, come and join us in Warsaw next year. Lovely city. It's very flat, so you don't get tired walking around it. And it's something that next year, I don't know what the title for next year is going to be yet. I haven't thought of one, but um, it will have, I can guarantee one thing it'll have nicotine in the title. <laughs>